Welcome to Romans Untangled, the podcast where we take a seemingly difficult book of the Bible and untangle it so that we can enjoy its beauty. Season 4, Episode 8, The Ambition, Romans 15, 14 to 22. Words of strong emotions are thrown around today like candy at a parade. Something that is likable is awesome. A new job is a perfect match. Even our local weather station has a top 10 weather day designation for nice days that they use about one or two times a month, it seems. One of these words that's thrown around is the word ambition. The Oxford Dictionary describes it or defines it as a strong desire to do or to achieve something, typically requiring determination and hard work. Today, on Romans Untangled, we will look at the Apostle Paul's ambition or strong desire that drove his every day. Hey, Pastor Steve Treichler here of Hope Community Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. I hope you are doing well wherever you are at. Here, fall has come. In fact, it is quite cold today. Uh, it's going to warm up later this week, but it is uh, quite cold. And I and I just did to you what we always do in Minnesota, and that's the first thing is to talk about the weather, weather or the Vikings. And so uh, more to talk about the weather these days than the Vikings. Uh, last week, uh, one of my fall things that I do, uh, have been doing for about 15 years now, is go on a duck hunting trip out to North Dakota. I generally go up between four and six days out there uh, every year now for the last, uh, like I say, about 15 years and did that last a uh, couple weeks ago. And so therefore, uh, there was no podcast. We're a week behind. I apologize to those of you who like to listen to it when it first comes out and and we got a week off, but we'll catch up here for the remainder of this season and, and this series. Just uh, two more episodes after this one. So good to be out in North Dakota again. I, I really mean this. I know I tease that that uh, state a little bit, but it is absolutely beautiful. Now, now hear me out here, those of you from North Dakota, if you're listening, uh, this is actually a compliment. It's beautiful in a North Dakota kind of beautiful. <laughs> it, it, it really is. The sunrise, the sunsets, they are gorgeous. Uh, you're a little bit on the dry side. You don't have a lot of lakes per se, a lot of potholes where where I duck hunt, but not a lot of lakes. And it's very flat. You can see forever. And again, when you're from Minnesota, you kind of like some rolling hills and you like those crazy things that are big and tall, made out of wood. What are they called again? Uh, uh, yeah, you wouldn't know in North Dakota, but, but it, it, but it's a beautiful, beautiful area. And so it's always great to be back in your state. And so that's as nice as I'm going to be. For those of you who are big time animal lovers, do not worry. There are lots of ducks left after as the hunting that uh, we took place in was on the downside. But the time with my Michigan friends who I stay at the duck hunting cabin with, that was just fantastic. So. All right, let's get into Romans. Last week, we looked at chapter 15, uh, the first 13 verses of that. Let me just remind you of a few things here. He says in verse 1, he says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves or not to do only what we want, but lay down our preferences for other people. Now, if you remember, we looked at chapter 14, and that whole idea there was dealing with those who had certain things that they stayed away from or they they especially regarding the old testament like 
how they were going to view, say, Sabbath or what they were going to do about certain kinds of meats or those kind of thing. And other people would say, no, no, we're, we're not under that anymore. We don't need to Sabbath keep like we did. Uh, we don't need to abstain from pork and other types of meat. Uh, and so some in the Jewish community were divided upon this. All of the Gentile community, by and large, thought that it was fine, always did. And, and when they became followers of Jesus, it wasn't a problem. So you have this in the church then at that time, you have this tension between Jewish people, especially those Jewish people who were holding on to the customs of Judaism, and those Jewish people who weren't, and the Gentiles who were not. And so you kind of get this divide. Now, it's not just Jew and Gentile, um, because the Apostle Paul would also say, he even says that in this, uh, even in this passage, that I, I think it's fine to do these things. But he doesn't want to cause a divide. And he lists this in chapter 14 real clear that we should lay down our preferences for the sakes of our brothers and sisters. All right. Then he highlights it by saying, verse 7, which is one of those memory verses that I memorized as a young follower of Christ, that it's really helpful for me, um, really helpful for me. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. Wow. That's just... It says it all, right? How do I need to look at one another? I need to look at others the way Jesus looked at me, and he accepted me. So that means I don't gaslight people. That means I don't just point them and say, they're all the problem. I look at them and say, sure, they got issues, but I do too. And Jesus loved me, and I need to love and move towards them as well. He goes on then to say, For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, this is verse 8, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. All right, so he's saying this whole thing is happening here, that Christ became a servant to the Jewish people, but then that flows over to the Gentiles, to the nations. He quotes these passages from the Old Testament talking about the gospel flowing out to the Gentiles. And then he ends last week with verse 13, where we looked at, or I guess two weeks ago, may the God of hope fill you and fill you, I'm sorry, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's just beautiful, right? Now, this week, we're moving on. Verse 14, this is now the click, the start of what we'd call the conclusion of the letter. And he is going to, in verse 14, he's going to uh, kind of give this feel of like, okay, I'm, I'm summarizing things. It's going to take us uh, a little bit more time here because there's still more in chapter 15. And then we're going to go just to chapter 16, which is just primarily his uh, personal greetings and then something at the very end, which I'll talk about a little bit about this week, which is really fun. Okay, I'm going to read through the passage, just so if you have your Bible with you, you can follow along. Read through the passage. We're going to go verses 14 to 22. And here we go. I'm going to read, I'm going to read this time out of the New International Version. It says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Yet, I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. 
I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach where the gospel uh, or uh, excuse me it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation rather as it is written those who were not told about him will see and those who have not heard will understand this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you okay we're going to unpack this passage here Going right back up and starting in verse 14, it's very important here what he says. So listen to verse 14. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and incompetent, and competent, excuse me, make sure I get, you didn't hear incompetent there, I stumbled a little bit on the word, and competent to instruct one another. That is a huge compliment, Okay. Because you have to understand what's happening in the book of Romans for us to even read this sentence here and then it makes any sense. If you've been reading along in the book of Romans, he Paul seems to get really sassy, and, and we'll see that here in, in verse 15. He seems to be getting very sassy with them at certain points. And there's a reason for that. He believes the best about these Romans, and yet he's doing a beautiful thing in the book of Romans where he's laying out his most uh, prolific work of his theology that is out there, period. The book of Romans is probably the most beautiful mosaic of, I would say, theology, but for sure Paul's theology and what he believes about what the gospel means and its implications in our lives. Now, if you go to verse 15, the, the first part of it, it says, yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, <laughs> quite boldly, right? And these are places where you're going, wow, it just seems like he uses sarcasm and he's like, he's yelling at them and he's arguing, there's all his argumentation. And it's like, dude, we're not even arguing. I'm just reading this. You know, you thought, you thought we were friends. And you, what, what a lot of people, and I would agree, would say is that the book of Romans is Paul's magnum opus, you know, like a, a person who's going to write their 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 best symphony of everything. And this is Paul's one where he's writing all of his theology, all his understanding of the gospel. He's putting it in one book. But not only that, but that you can kind of hear many, many years of him proclaiming the gospel and people giving him flack or giving him uh, uh, argumentation, or even really good, honest questions. Okay, so you know there, there's a there's a little bit of a difference there in nuance, but people are yelling back at him, or they're uh, resisting this, or they have objections to it. Like, wait a minute, what about the Old Testament? Da 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 da. da. Or they just have legitimate questions. And you know, how does this work, Paul? I want to follow Jesus, but help me. And he's done this for years and years, so he anticip anticipates those and he puts them. In the letter, as oftentimes is questions. Well, you might say, uh, should we go on sinning so that grace may increase, right? Well, I've heard this a thousand times before, Paul would say. And so I know you're thinking that. And so he does those kinds of things. And so he says, I've written you quite boldly about 
uh, these things. Uh, one of my favorite authors is a man, he just passed away by the name of Timothy Keller. And he, for years, put out podcasts and um, uh, more just blog articles or, or different things like that. And then he put out a manual of church planting, and it was really rough. I remember when I got the first copy of it, it was almost unreadable, but it was gold because you the bullet points were so good. But it wasn't a, a format that you could really understand. And then he did some things on how we engage culture in another, you know, another either either a lecture series or whatever. And then he put it all together. And, and the book is called Center Church. It's a great book. But he puts all of his best thinking in that book. And that's what the book of Romans is that Paul says uh, that he is doing here, quite boldly on some things to remind you of the guy. And then he tells us why he writes the book of Romans. Here it is. Second part of verse 15. Because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. So one big thing that's going on in the book of Romans is to explain the gospel in such a way that it matters not just to the Jewish person who was born of the person of Abraham and, and circumcised and, and that whole tribe of Israel, but Paul says, man, listen, I was given the task to go to the Gentiles, and it's very important for me theologically to show you that the gospel is for the Gentiles. They don't have to first become Jewish and then they're in, they're, the gospel is for them as they are. Paul here says in Romans 15, verse 15, and going into 16, was that I wrote the book of Romans. One of the big reasons is, is to show that is the case. He goes on to continue that, and he says, he gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles, so that the nations might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. So Paul uses some interesting language here. He used kind of Old Testament language. He gave me the priestly duty. Well, he wasn't really a priest. In fact, Paul would say that the, the, the use of the temple is no longer because Christ is wrong. But he says, there's something that's happening. I'm, a, I'm kind of a go-between. I'm an apostle that was sent to the Gentiles in order to do that, that they might be an offering acceptable to God. So they are like... They are being given as in the nations are being given to God. Okay, this is this is huge, all right? Uh, listen to Douglas Moo on this. I think he's great. He says, God prepared and selected Paul to be the one through whom the gospel would be brought to the Gentiles. Much of Romans focuses on the way God has planned salvation history to include Gentiles, ultimately in the people of God. Paul is the perfect person to write about this because he was the one God used to accomplish much of his purpose with the Gentiles. As Paul puts it in verse 16, he was given the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to, to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And 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 uh, Douglas Moo makes the claim that Paul, the Apostle Paul is looking at many passages in the Old Testament where Paul is leaning into this theology saying, look, look even back at the Old Testament, what it says here, and now see how this is an inkling of this showing off the, the, uh, the glory of God to the nations. It's not just for Israel. Uh, uh, Ezekiel 36 Verses 22 to 28 says, therefore, say to the Israelites, this is when they are in exile, by the way, and, and they're waiting to come back into the, the, their own kingdom, Israel. 
And God says, it's, it's actually bigger than that. It's bigger than just you getting your land. He says, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations, among the Gentiles, where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. Okay, so three times there in just uh, a few verses, he makes this declaration. Listen, you have, if, if, I, if you are my representation on the earth, I, am, I have a bad name because you're not carrying my name. I mean, just it's quite an indictment to tell that to someone. It'd be quite an indictment to tell your son or daughter, you've disgraced our name as a family, right? And that's what God is saying about, about us as sinners and especially is about Israel as a nation, what they've done. And, he's, and then he says, then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. Okay? I'm, just for the sake of time, I'm going to, you can read that on your own through verse 28. Let me go to Isaiah 66. And I think this is a beautiful passage as well. Just two verses, 19 and 20, and just the first part of 20. He says, I will set a sign among them, and I will send some of those who survive to the nations, to Tarshish, to the Libyans and Lydians, famous as archers, to Tubal and Greece, and to the distant islands that have not heard of my fame or seen my glory. They will proclaim my glory among the nations, and they will bring all your people from all the nations to my holy mountain in Jerusalem as an offering to the Lord on horses, in chariots and wagons, and on mules and camels, says the Lord. So Douglas Moo, and I think correctly, argues that this is what Paul's getting after. He's saying they're an offering. This is what's taking place. What was prophesied in the Old Testament is now happening as people are coming and are being laid at the altar as an offering to God. All the nations are coming. This is huge to the Apostle Paul. Okay, he's going to continue on, and we're going to go on to verse 17. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. So now Paul's going to focus on what it is that I am passionate. What is my ambition? And he'll use that word later on. This is what has been the thing that wakes me up in the morning and the thing I think about when I lay down at night. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished me accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. Now that's really fascinating. Here's this phrase again, leading the nations to obey God, or this whole idea of obedience or this whole idea of the Gentiles. And remember that goes back a couple weeks ago, we talked about it. Uh, We talked about it in uh, Romans chapter one, verse five, the obedience of faith to bring the Gentiles, the obedience of faith. Uh, we see it here. We're going to see it again. Uh, we really saw it in verse 16, where it says that the, the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God. They, they come, and we're going to talk about that. <laughs> I'm teasing this in our last episode of Romans Untangled, because the Apostle Paul is going to end the book with this language. And we talked about this in the beginning of the book, saying, let's let the book tell us what this is about. All right. So now we're going to see that phrase again and say, okay, now given that, what's he talking about? He goes on to say, um, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So the kingdom of God comes in such a way that there's miracles happening, there's signs, there's wonders, and there's power in the conversion of people to come and now 
face God and delight in him. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition, my strong desire. Remember where we, we, we use that phrase here? It is my strong desire to do or achieve something typically requiring determination and hard work. This, the Apostle Paul says, this was my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Isn't that crazy? So what, 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 where Paul wanted to go was places where they had not yet heard about Christ. Maybe they heard about the Old Testament some, Maybe they knew a little bit here and there. And if you read the book of Acts and the sermons given by the Apostle Paul, you can see that he deals with people all over the map. Some are very, very familiar with the Old Testament. Others know nothing. It doesn't matter to him. He wants them to know Jesus. And he's communicating the wonderful message of the gospel to them. And he wants to do this. This is what drives him. And he even quotes Isaiah 52 when he says, those who were not told about him will see. And those who have not heard will understand. Paul's just in, in, intrigued by this. He wants to go where people don't yet know. He wants to go into communities. He wants to go into people's lives who are dark, and there seems to be no hope, and yet he offers them hope, and it's life-changing. Uh, that's. Let me just pause there just for a moment and just do a little self-reflection. Oftentimes we just think of the gospel as a, a simple message or a or or a, you know a, a statement of beliefs that we hold, and it and it is that, but it's more than that. That the gospel is actually power for salvation. Romans one sixteen and seventeen says there's power. It's life giving. It's changing, and the world needs it. The world flat out needs it. Our neighbors need it. Our coworkers need it. Our fellow students need it. So it's our opportunity, like the Apostle Paul's, to be that person that engages with people, loving on them, listening to them, finding out what their objections and even their honest questions are, but helping them to see Jesus because he's absolutely worth it. And then he gives this closing thing. He says, this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. In other words, I, I would love to go to Rome. I'd love to see this church. It, you're, it's a beautiful church. In fact, he knows many people there. We'll get into that in a couple of weeks. He knows many people there. And he says, you know what? I've never been there though. Why? Because the gospel is already flourishing there. He just got done saying that in verse 14. I'm convinced, brothers and sisters, that you're full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Douglas Moo goes on to say, as Paul writes to the Roman Christians, therefore he writes from the consciousness of an authority that few others could claim. He is not simply an apostle, but the apostle to the Gentiles. Despite the fact that he has not founded the church in Rome or ever visited Paul has every right to address the Roman Christians quite boldly. And of course, it is the same authority under the inspiration of God that gives Romans its special importance yet today. I don't know what your ambitions are in life. 
if you're a follower of Jesus, there's something within us that just delights in sharing this with others. Now you might think, oh, I don't like doing that. Well, the reality is, is anytime you hear about something good, you just want to tell somebody. You, you, you see, like I just was saying, this, this uh, beautiful sunsets and beautiful, I was actually uh, better taking pictures at uh, sunrises because that's when you're up for duck hunting. You get a picture of a sunrise. And there's something about it where I got I to gotta take a picture of that and I got to put it on Facebook. I, I have done that for so many years. Why? Because there's just something about seeing something amazing and somehow it completes it when I have that opportunity to talk and share about it with others in a way that brings them joy as well. This is Paul's ambition. This is the ambition of every Christian that we would have the opportunity to be engaged with that. May God grant that ambition to us. May God grant us an ambition to want to see others find him. Looking forward to the next two episodes of Romans Untangled. We'll finish up chapter 15 next time talking about the mission of how Paul goes about doing this. I hope you're doing well. Have a great week and we'll see you next time on Romans Untangled.